Hi there. A couple corrections for you this time. Last time we met for armchair analysis, that is episode 4.5, Connor described the process of translating the word tree into an image in one's mind that most would generally agree upon as a tree. I briefly called this semiotic process an icon, but it's actually a bit more complex than that. In Piercean terms, Connor was describing the conversion of a symbol, that is the third type of sign, into an icon, that is the first type of sign. We'll be getting into the types of signs in detail in future episodes, but I also highly recommend you pick up a copy of Pearson's Signs and or How Forests Think by Eduardo Cohn for a nice overview of how Pierce's semiotic works in Pierce's terms. Basically, everything relies on turning icons, the simplest type of signs, into more complex signs and then back into icons. Another way of thinking about this process is through the more specifically cognitive linguistic model of the prototype an iconic sign that's generally agreed upon within a certain group to be a more characteristic version of a symbolic sign. So like, picture a bird. Is it a small bird? Is it a specific small bird? Is it brown? Is it a robin or a sparrow? Did you mean to picture a robin or a sparrow? Turns out that in the English-speaking world, a lot of people picture something resembling a robin or a sparrow when they hear the word bird and not like a turkey or a puffin. Isn't that weird? That means that these smaller birds resemble prototypical birds to an English speaker. How about that St. Anthony's fire, huh? I described it as an illness that struck during the late Middle Ages, but it was actually pretty common throughout the entire medieval period in Europe, and it was even more horrible than I knew. It caused gangrene, bloating, boils, and other gnarly stuff. Go figure, getting poisoned by moldy rye isn't a picnic. I mean, unless you were having a picnic with the moldy rye, but in that case it still wasn't a fun picnic. Alright, that's it for corrections, but here's an addendum for you. Connor mentioned a pretty sweet short story in episode 4.5, and it definitely deserves more of a shout-out. The Belonging Kind is a short story by William Gibson and John Shirley, and it will very much interest anybody who likes Delusian becomings and posthumanism. I don't want to spoil too much, and it's like seven pages, so I can't reveal much in terms of plot, but the world building is beautiful, and the tone is like masterful in its light creepiness. Check it out! And as always, if you have corrections, you can tweet them at us, at Anthrogang. Okay folks, on with the analysis. Um, so, okay, so let's, uh, let's jump straight into um, to armchair analysis. Uh, I did like a bunch of corrections and addenda uh, pre-recorded for the listeners. Um, but, Lindsay, I mentioned that I have a gift for you. <gasps> a gift? Um, a gift. Ah, what is it? It's a definition of a body without organs <laughs> in a sentence. <laughs> ah, yes! <laughs> I'm so... Wait, I, I got the shirt. I gotta show y'all. I got the shirt. Oh my god. What? This is already a very promising <laughs> analysis. I'm section. so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh my god, yes. So it's the I text block. Impulse bought the text block. <laughs> the text block on a shirt. And I can read it if people, oh, yes. if that's good for the yes. podcast. Yes, God, yes, please. It's good for this. Okay, so <laughs> audio description, uh, 4chan text block, 
Anonymous, Thursday, March 23rd, uh, 1250, 2017, number two nine two seven eight nine one seven. 8917 Explain to lose to me or I'll fucking kill you! Don't dumb it down to some dumb fake shit! Explain to lose to me right now or I'll literally fucking kill you! <laughs> what the fuck is a body without organs? What the fuck are rhizomes? Don't dumb it down or I'll fucking kill you! <laughs> and now, I have it on a shirt and it's mine. I'm maybe gonna wear it tomorrow. We'll see. Oh my god. Fantastic. I'm excited. I'm so excited for you. Oh. Uh, that, that's a good impulse buy. That's a good buy. Thank you. Thank you um, so much. Since so, I've got... Yeah? Since I've got another cantrip available to me, I now have thaumaturgy, and I am <laughs> hyped. I am hyped. That's a good cantrip. Oh. I am so excited. I've never played a character that has gotten the thaumaturgy oh. before, and I am ready. Oh my god. That's a good cantrip. Ollie, I am begging you, please use it to just scream that quote. Just scream, explain, <laughs> explain yes. to lose to me. Explain <laughs> to lose to me or I'll fucking Fusro kill you. Da. Wait a minute, that wait a fucking... minute. Okay, yeah, it is a cl- it is a cleric cantrip. All right, good. Yeah. You got it. You got to uh, scream it at Foxglove. Explain to lose to me, you fucking piece of shit. I'll kill you. <laughs> I'll kill I'll... you. I'm just I'll kill you, Foxglove. Like... Tell me the name of God, you fungal piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you can't kill you me in a way that matters. The hand shaking, holding the gun. I was, I was considering, I was Just considering like referencing that in this campaign, and I was like, everyone's gonna know that reference, and it's not gonna be like dramatic at all. It's just gonna be funny. <laughs> like, oh, um, so here is the definition in a sentence. It is the unbounded, non-monadic, contemporary egg surrounded by intensities and affects on every axis that chase themselves around and spiral continuously. So what's that yeah, egg? I'm... So I even, I even have an explanation, if that didn't make okay. any sense, because it barely made sense to okay. me, and I'm the one who wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> it, so by unbounded and non-monadic, I mean not bound by its shell. And not actually an egg as such, because it's not contained. It's like not a singularity. They just want it to be three dimensional. They don't want it to be like a plane of imminence, as they've they used to call it. They used to call it the plane of imminence, um, like uh, Bateson used to call it, because um, uh, like that a thousand plateaus, like I like I mentioned before, um, uh, uh, refers to the plane of imminence, the plateau that's always building up, and like has intensities rolling around on it, and then that, that makes no sense, and they were like, that, of course that makes no sense, because it doesn't mean anything, so we'll call it an egg. That makes slightly more sense, maybe. Um, because they, their problem with that was that um, the plane is infinite, and you have to border it in your head at some point. But an egg is three-dimensional, and you can just contain it in your head as a shape. Um, so it has a surface. Um... So, uh, by contemporary, I mean not hatching at any one time, never fully hatched, and always hatching. And by surrounded by intensities and affects on every axis that chase themselves around and spiral continuously, I mean like traversed and changed by effectual information and fields of intensity. 
Alternatively, their old definition is the plane of imminence across which intensities can be mapped and transmitted. And I think the boys um, D&G just like the egg better because it's three-dimensional. So confirmed, there is no good way to define this damn thing and or it's fine to just call it a rhizomatic assemblage. After our session last week, I did some supplementary to lose readings and I feel like I'm confident in what means a body without organs now. Okay. So... A body without organs. So here, do you want to hear my impression of it? Yes. Do people consent to this. Yeah. Please. Yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So the paper that busted it open for me was this paper, "Thinking the Ecological Present" by Eva Perez de Vega, who is a actually a design person from um, Parsons. Uh, she's on faculty at Parsons, um, and so. My understanding of a body without organs, thanks to this and several other papers that I read in the last week, what is basically that a body without organs is a body that defines itself through its relations with other bodies and objects, not in terms of its essential qualities. So the, you know, the reason why it's without organs is because it doesn't I mean, it doesn't have essential qualities that are native to itself. It exists only in relation to these other objects and other bodies. Um, and, and, that's, and the intensity of its attachments and its connections with those other bodies and other objects are what constitutes its realness, its materiality. Um, kind of the, the ontology of its real being is defined through its relations with other objects and other beings. Um, so that is, that is, you know, a body without organs is a body that defines itself through its relationships with others and not through any essential qualities. It may have been, uh, you know, assigned or inborn with, or, uh, um, normativized with, and that is, that is my take. Okay. Yeah. That does make sense. May I make a, I don't, I forgot what they used to call it in English class, some kind of, some kind of reference, but I think this is actually kind of, I really want to ask the writers of the Magnus Archives this now, because, like, they did an episode where they literally had some students who literally did not know how organs worked and had to learn how they, and, like, they sort of changed parts of themselves to fit it. To fit, like, what they were learning about? I, I don't know. It made mm-hmm. sense to me. And, like, just sort of not necessarily having anything of their own, but having this uh, this relationship, be it, like, physical or whatever, to other things, they sort of mold with it. I really yeah. want to ask if, if the writer uh, Jonathan Sims thought about that. Because, oh my god. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that kind of goes to show, like, a body without organs, like, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. That's kind of a neutral state. Um, obvi- yeah. You know, the losing guitar. This one was like, real creepy. Yeah. Like, they're like, you know, a body, a healthy body without organs is something we aspire to be, but there are many unhealthy forms of body without organs, and that feels right. like it's probably one of them. Yeah, that's, that's something that I keep getting caught up with, because... Um, Every time I look for like a good definition in a thousand plateaus, they they talk more about the unhealthy versions than the healthy versions. They talk more about Artaud with his 
emptied body without organs, or they talk more about Schreber with his like cancerous body without organs, as they call it. Um, and like, and uh, I'm looking now in Anti Oedipus because I was like, maybe it was in Anti Oedipus, and I couldn't understand it because it was Anti Oedipus, and that's all like one like big stream of consciousness, and it's not separated. Oh, oh I wow! Think, I think the Magnus episode was more like a like a literal kind of creating organs to fit every i don't know it right. was a, it was mm-hmm. a more literal thing rather than a metaphorical or philosophical thing right yeah okay. but it's true like if you can ima- like if you're in the business of defining yourself through your relationships with others that can either be really positive in terms of find you know forming a community forming a family mm-hmm. forming reciprocal mm-hmm. responsibilities that are mutually beneficial or that can be really negative like that can be codependent mm-hmm. That can be, um, uh, you know, to losing Atari themselves, use the example of addiction mm. as being um, another form of dependency on relationality to objects. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the body without organs is a neutral state that can go positively or negatively. Yeah. But to my mind, the body without organs is defined through its relations and not through its essential qualities. Right. Well, they, that's that's another thing that they say. They say, like, um, that it's an assemblage and that you can only... Like, assemblages are defined only by, like... Um, assemblages are defined by their constituents and by the relations between those constituents. So if you add or subtract a constituent or change the relationship between any of those constituents, then the whole assemblage changes, which is why bodies without organs are so hard to define. Because... Mm-hmm. A body without organs needs must change. So that's, I guess, I, but yeah, okay. So that, I like, that makes that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so we're we 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 managed. We did it. We we. It only took us like it only took us a full episode and a half to get there, but we did it. Um. That was uh. We we uh we. Uh, we sort of we we got there to the um, to the body without organs. I also um, I wanted to um, talk about uh, talk a little bit more about the um, we talked about this last armchair analysis, um, but uh, we didn't um, get to have like a full on like uh, interactive conversation with it because. Um, uh, because Lindsay, your internet went out, um, and um, and I thought your insights were really cool, and I included them in the episode, but we didn't get to like really talk about them. Um, uh, so um, the the thought that you had about um, the source, the reminder is the source of any thought. It is known a reminder is the source of any thought. Um, that phrase that Irsu saw inscribed on the stone that brought you to this region of the forest with the puppet. Um, I, I survived the gateway grove and all I got was this creepy puppet. (laughs) 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 But yeah, uh, like I, I wanted to revisit that just, um, you know, it, it can, it can be as brief as, as you guys want, but, um, that's that's something that I wanted to revisit um just to just to get like a a more um comprehensive picture on um on what everyone thought well i was I was thinking about that Gwendolyn Brooks quote like we are each other's harvest um, hmm. 
what is it all for if not for each other hmm. you know even if someone is completely only selfishly motivated a they can only take that so far in their life before they start to inadvertently benefit other people maybe not sure about that actually but maybe um <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know the best, the best things in, I, I feel like that, that is, that is why to me, like leftist thought and like, especially communist thought is so loving in its heart is so like nurturing and like caring in its heart. And is so like life, like to me, I find it really affirming and really inspiring because it is so loving and is so excited about, um, like, engaging in positive relationships and engaging in like caring for each other and caring for your neighbors mm -hmm. and caring for your family and friends like um, yeah and that letting that be uh letting that be uh, a credit to yourself in itself again we are each other's harvest we don't need more or less than that mm -hmm. um there that kind of reminds me of this idea that I I don't know if it's uh, I don't remember exactly like where I saw this or when I started believing this or whatever else but this idea that I don't think humans are inherently individualistic no matter what people might say huh. people don't just look out for themselves that's that's not how that's not how we survive as a species that's not mm. how we survive as a society contrary to the beliefs of far too many people <laughs> yeah mm. well yeah i mean there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of pushback against against that i mean the 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 ideology that we are inherently individualistic first of all the the idea that we're inherently anything um, right. human nature <laughs> is something that like human nature, like a universalizing human nature is actually kind of a dangerous idea in a lot of ways, uh. um, uh, that a lot of anthropologists have tried to push back against uh. in oh, history. Yeah. Cool. yeah like, yeah. Um, the, oh yeah. This, the, this I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. If it's whack. Not, That's all I'm going to say. He's not really an anthropologist, but it just reminded me of this. I think it was a Wittgenstein a uh, quote that was just like we as humans are like a universe trapped in the shell of what we present to others around us and we could huh. <clears throat> present he was really fascinated with like clothing and like he was all about like language and the yeah. transferal of getting back to sort of semiotics of like um, creating images in your head as a result of like oh this was this word was used or this in this context so my brain creates that um, that like we as humans are inherently very like a universe of complexities and juxtapositions and differences but mm -hmm. the way that we sort of talk to communicate to each other on a very like physical level is just to like 
oh, that person is carrying themselves in this way. That must mean that they are entirely this. Uh, right, instead right. of only seeing it as like um, a crack through the shell, I guess. Uh, right. We we categorize and 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 one thing that we can say that our one thing that we can say is universal about humans is that we we do have um, we we do have a um, a central nervous system <clears throat> that does process information in a certain way, <laughs> and that certain way is. Um, largely based on pattern recognition, and that pattern recognition tends to want to categorize things, yeah. and um, and the way that categorization happens is very different for different cultures, and very very different for different languages, and very different for different like that yeah. is where that is where the disconnect happens. Like people hear like, oh, human brains like to categorize things, and then they immediately jump to that's why that's why it's I'm allowed to be racist, <laughs> and like like <laughs> like no like, yeah. no like that's that's like. Like people take it to like logical extremes that are like they just don't work. Like it doesn't it doesn't work at all. Right. So like, so like where they where they where they're jumping is there's a lot of space in there where it's like okay, but like there's there if they took a single step in there, they 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 could step up to their knee in okay, but like, you know, the English language for example uses a lot of very different we have semantic fields that like when we when we say something um when we have two words that mean some very similar things and then but like someone's like no that means something kind of different that means something very slightly mm. different and then other languages are like that that's the same thing like just <laughs> don't you don't have to distinguish between like, those things relax right yeah like relax <laughs> it's fine and well, quit being so uptight english right Damn it. quit being so uptight english and like I, I'm trying, I, I just I, summed up centuries, <laughs> centuries of history. I'm yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying I, I'm I'm a I'm a filthy monolingual, so I I I, uh, <laughs> uh, I I can't I can't say firsthand mm. for anything uh, for for any any particular language that does that. But mm. um, I know that for example, like um, there are languages that have no grammatical gender or tense, like Mandarin has mm. no grammatical gender or tense. Yeah. Um. So like if you wanted to say. I, I went to the store yesterday, um, or I will go to the store tomorrow. You could technically say the same three words, I go store, and let context decide um, what you mean. When you did it. When you did that, and uh, or when you're going to do that. Um, and, like, that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that native Mandarin speakers are, like, more context-dependent in their heads. That just means that their language operates that way. Like, it's... I think... If uh, if I'm remembering my Duolingo correctly, uh, I think Indonesian's kind of like that. Mm. Like you don't necessarily need all these filler words. You can just like you. It's uh, it's just I don't know about easier because my native language is English, mm. but right. <laughs> uh, the sentence structure you don't you don't need all those unnecessary filler words. Mm. Right, yeah, and there's, you know, like, there's, there's, and there's a lot of, um, so all of this is to say that, like, um, that when, when people say, oh, people like to categorize things, and they use, like, the English language as an example of how people like to categorize things, the English language is hilariously uptight about how it categorizes things. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, like inconsistent and also so inconsistent yes 
Uh, yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah. So, um, so there that that's one example, I guess, of uh, of how um, how like people really need to take a step back from assuming a universalized human nature based on like the stuff in our heads. Yeah. All being kind of similar because there's there's so much we don't know about the stuff in our heads <laughs> and how that relates to like what we do. there's so much we don't know about how much of that even does all of our thinking mm. like octopus for example have three-fifths of all of their neurons in not their heads yeah and we're like we're like oh that's so crazy like can you imagine what it must be like thinking with your body but i can tell you that after like only two months of kung fu lessons <laughs> i think with my body a lot more now mm. <laughs> and it's it's wild <laughs> it's a totally different way of living <laughs> i don't know like it's kind of it's it's kind of funny like i it, it's a new relationship with my body and a new relationship with new relationship with like like what my arms and lungs and heart do and yeah. and and you know so like like when we think of like oh we have this mind body dualism and 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 we could never be like the octopus like that's not exactly yeah I don't know. I, that's fake I it's fake it's a lie sort of like that mindset sort of like that in and of itself is a very like compartmentalized or er, 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 truncated version of intelligence and like all yeah. of to 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 assume that intelligence is this one sort of like glowing thing inside of a in and that there's only one way to show intelligence or to have yeah. intelligence in a certain yeah. field as opposed to like right what, what, you, what you were talking about rune like physical intelligence or like emotional intelligence or like right yeah. just like crystallized versus fluid and stuff like that and even even think, those terms yeah. are just people taking a wild stab at like uh, this is how that person thinks and this is how i think and this is how <laughs> i think i think this is another uh, what this is one of like many reasons why i dislike the idea that logic and emotion are mutually exclusive to some people yeah because growing up i was very much told to th think with my head and i mean i was mm. i was i was a very emotional kid and i was also uh taught to like just think logically and all that stuff but you can do both it's not difficult right well i mean yeah, it's, well, it wasn't difficult for me to, to, it wasn't difficult eventually, but, uh, it's just, I think that without the emotion, you don't necessarily, I, I don't know, because a lot of the people I hear saying, like, oh, think with facts, mm. not emotions, mm. <laughs> are ignoring their own emotions behind their statements about logic and that kind of thing. I actually came right. across that in a movie that I really like also. Uh, the the villain's a little bit sexist. Oh. And, like, he talks about, like, okay, because this, this victim's freaking out. Okay, stop stop thinking with your emotions. Start thinking with your head. You gotta do this in order for your dad to live. Hmm. And, and his emotions are driving everything because uh, he's got a crush on the victim. 
but uh and mm. he like this i think i don't know if his job was on the line but he was sort of orchestrating this whole terrorist attack in the movie and uh he's got to have some kind of emotional stake in it i mean it's his job uh, right so i don't think i mean you already know that I don't think that logic and emotion are mutually exclusive. Right. This is just... I'm yeah. rambling, but it's, <laughs> it's, okay. it's related, it's totally so valid. I'm not going to be too hard on myself for it. Yeah, yeah. you're fine. I... The movie's called, yeah. the movie's called Red Eye, by the way. <laughs> okay. I I would say... I My, my thoughts on this are... I would say that, uh, lest we forget, the root word of subjectivity is subject. Um, <laughs> right. The way yeah. that we define... Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, but no, the way that the way that we define personhood, the way that we define agency, is usually construed in relation to a state, and usually construed uh, in in relation to the desires of that state for maximum productivity, whether that exists in the cap in the context of capitalism or excited or outside of it, um, is less important than the fact that uh, the assignment of uh, human personhood is a very, very political decision, is one that is tied up in questions of citizenship, sure. is one that is very much tied up in, in like my own life, uh, is very much tied up in questions of ability and in terms of productivity mm. and in mm -hmm. terms of um, like in this society capacity to work. So I, you mm. know, I will never ever be, I will never ever take for granted that uh, the 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 beings that are generally assigned the designation of person are the ones who um, should uncritically be viewed as have as embodying a subjective experience, and none others should. Mm. Right, and, because it will and, always be defined by some sort of hegemony. Also, yeah. can we talk? Can we talk about how objectivity is also really subjective? <laughs> Objectivity's yeah, whack. Yeah. Objectivity's fake. Uh, yeah. Because like, what's ob what's objective when you're not affected by an issue? Mm. Mm. Whereas what's objective yeah. when you are affected by? Yeah, it's like because well, it, if you have no skin in the if you have no skin in the game, you don't know shit about the issue. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. That... The, this is all. This is fair, like kind of random, but it just made me think of especially. Um, Ali, when you mentioned, uh, like, think with your head um, instead of think with your emotions, it also got me thinking of, like, uh, you think with your head and you think with your heart and you think with your gut. And these are very, like, they, they make me think of, like, a very humoristic way of, like, portraying, like, decision-making and intelligence mm -hmm. that is very, like that only one region of your body is responsible for like emotions versus like rational thinking versus like instinct versus, and versus oh. thinking with your yeah. dick. <laughs> right. Ew. Exactly. There are specialized like that yeah. that the but intelligence yeah. goes that's so interesting. throughout like, the body as opposed to like just yeah, your the, brain. Yeah. yeah, there's there's this kind of like uh normativizing impulse to delineate and scientifically designate which organ in your body is responsible at any given mm. time for which organ you're feeling which emotion you're feeling mm. for the purposes of like 
pathologizing or correcting it a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, when in reality, almost all emotions we experience are the product of a holistic mm. full body experience, which can only be um, which can only be understood as all of these organs working as a complete assemblage and not any one working in isolation, yes. such as the gut or the heart or the brain, et cetera. And that brings us to embodiment. <laughs> like that brings us all the way back to embodiment. Mm. Like we, we come back to this state of like, well, okay, what does it mean to be embodying this, this, what does it mean to, to, it, <clears throat> to be embodying this state of like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking with my arms. I'm thinking with my lungs. Mm. I'm thinking with, like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing deep breathing. I'm meditating. I'm, I'm thinking with my breath. I'm paying attention ah. to it. Um, like all of that means to me that I'm, you know, being very conscious of how, like, I'm paying attention to my body because I'm trying to pay attention to what it needs. And I do this all the time because I'm an extremely anxious person, as <laughs> all of you probably Sam, know by now. <laughs> like, mood, mood, good. mood. Like, I have as to pay real. very close attention to my body because if I don't, then, then I won't know why I'm anxious. And if I don't know why I'm anxious, I won't know how to fix mm. it. And, um, and, uh, and so, like, when I pay close attention to my body, I'm like, okay, well... Why am I feeling like this? Am I hungry? Have I taken my meds? Mm. You mm -hmm. know, and uh, and and if I if I put in a routine of practice around that, then and that's kind of why I why I have been starting to do kung fu because I I need mm. to do that more often. Um, I need to do that in a more conscientious way, um, and that's been helping a lot because now I am like actively thinking with my exercise a yeah. lot more, and. Um, but it's more than just that. It's like when we're embodying these concepts, when we're embodying these characters to each other, we're, we're embodying like affectual information as well. And we're not just thinking with our heads or our hearts or our, you know, spleens or our whatever. Um, we're thinking with our spirits too. We're thinking with mm. our, um, we're thinking with our like uh, curiosity. We're thinking with our senses of humor mm. and we're thinking of with our like, um uh and and Ollie what you were saying with like uh how like it's important to it's important to kind of conjoin your logic to your emotions in a lot yes. of situations like yes that's a that's a pretty primary tenet of um dialectical behavioral therapy uh which my mom teaches oh. um uh this uh, DBT. <laughs> DBT, um this wise mind state which I think is, um, you know, I, 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 I often take, I often take issue with, because it's not like about like full body, like embodiment. It's, it doesn't talk about like how you're, it doesn't always talk about how like your emotions are, um, entirely like generated as a full body experience, like from your physical state and how your mind is like kind of a, more of a, like a, like a less, less grounded, like less, less able to be grounded, uh, less, less physically explicable version of that. But like your consciousness state is is kind of harder to explain by your physical presence but um but basically the the wise mind portion it's like a venn diagram so you've got your rational mind uh, or your reasonable mind um and your emotion mind and in the middle you've got your wise mind and you oscillate between these states all the time huh. everyone does oh i do <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and the goal is to 
maintain your position in wise mind as often as possible because that's where you make that's where you make the healthiest decisions for yourself hmm. um and you know i i find that model useful for making decisions for myself when i'm like trying to you know make make decisions that are in line with my values and my goals mm -hmm. um sometimes it's useful to be in reasonable mind sometimes it's useful to be in emotion mind and like yeah. you know like well you know like i like i really had a shitty day and i you know like i've been i've you know i i i've been like really um really on task with a lot of things and i i got everything done except for like this one minor task and maybe i just need a break and my body is telling me i need a break so i'll just take a nap and like that's that's emotion mind maybe i'm giving into an urge but maybe that's fine mm -hmm. like yeah. but um but wise mind is generally a good place to make like big decisions like if you're buying a house, you don't want to do it as an impulse purchase. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Of course, you don't want to angry buy a house. <laughs> no. You know what? <laughs> fuck this. Fuck everything. No. I'm buying a split yeah. foyer. No, fuck you. Done. I will buy that mansion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Though the th the thing that the thing that always kind of killed me about DBT, and I love Wise Mind. But I think it does. I think it does kind of preserve, like a binaristic state, between yeah. mind and body knowledge, um, and it does kind of conceive of it as more of as a spectrum. But in but implied in a spectrum is a binaristic state with gradations between them. You know. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah. The light can. Either yeah, be and that's that's like, my problem with it too. Yeah. yeah. I. That's yeah. that's one of my problems with it too. Because a, a lot of the time. Uh, especially this over the winter, there's been a lot of time where I haven't really been stuck in emotion or reasonable mind. It's mostly just been head completely empty. <laughs> right. No thoughts. Only spores. Woo! did it. <laughs> we did it. Is, um, it. It's also just making me think of, like, I, I guess this would be a part of, like, emotion brain um but like your natural body's responses to things and people saying i'm sorry i'm not thinking straight i'm hungry or like i'm mm. oh I'm, totally I'm tired like this is not which is your like physical body like responding to a lack of certain chemicals or like certain sure uh uh, uh stimuli and that then like, oh, okay, my train of thought is no longer this higher forebrain human anthropocentric <laughs> version of intelligence. I am now... Yeah. I am now... I have returned to monkey. I have returned to this primal, like, <laughs> only response Return to, to monkey. Um, <laughs> M-O-N-K-E. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, the, uh, that, that is, uh, that's, that's definitely, um, that is definitely a part of what, what DBT therapists would call, uh, emotion mm. mind, your kind of body's responses. Mm -hmm. But like Lindsay, I have this issue with DBT where like, it is kind of like, um, I don't know whether, um, I don't know whether to really like it's kind of an oversimplification of what I what what I would 
I don't know if I have like a model for what is actually happening <laughs> with like what's going on with like the emotion embodiment and like the cognitive and consciousness embodiment, but I think it's probably more complicated than a Venn diagram with two regions and a <laughs> like <laughs> like <laughs> and it's wisdom. probably a bit more than that. Then on a, but, and uh, it's also like what an what an ideological moderatism. <laughs> Is it not? Yeah. Yeah, they they literally have a skill called middle path and it's like can you find a middle path for that? And I'm like, well, sometimes people are just wrong about things. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes people are just wrong about things. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's like, I don't want to knock on DBT because it's definitely super helpful. Um, I, I just think, you know, I also think that like psychology as, uh, as any science, as any social science and any natural science, any science, um, uh, as I, I was actually describing this in class today, um, uh, psychology as any science, um, has its tools and goals currently under the the mostly under the control and um under the sort of uh ends and aims of late stage capitalism yes i follow a therapist on tiktok who talks about that a lot (laughs) yeah and i will drop his name in the in the discord he's great yeah yeah it's uh it there's there's i mean like when i when i say that i mean that um a lot of behavioral therapy especially is about like setting goals for yourself um and Mm. making sure that you operate within a certain normative framework yeah wow and like making sure that you're happy about your life within like a certain normative framework and it's like okay but what if my goals are like i don't want to work like if i told my therapist that like (laughs) he'd be like yeah he would have no idea what to say (laughs) you ever ever read any essays from from against health no i would highly (laughs) recommend um against health is an anthology by jonathan metzel and anna kirkland um, I think it's but it's, they're about that, I, I, you know, kind of, it's, it's a very like Foucauldian, uh, th- you know, thought progression, but it's this idea that like health itself, not just mental health, not just physical health, not just ability, but health itself as a construct, unfortunately is more suited to producing normative subjects, good laborers, good huh. citizens. Right within the context of capitalism and statism mm-hmm. than it is, you know, concerned with improving people's lives or happiness or general mm. well-being. Yes. Right, yes. right. That actually, that brings me to, um, and this might shift focus slightly, um, but that brings me to, um, uh, and I didn't script this, so this might be a little rambly, but um, <laughs> that brings me to um, a topic that um, I've been sitting on for the entire campaign so far. <laughs> um, and that is the subject of vampires. <laughs> yeah. oh, man. And transhumanism. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Trans transhuman technologies as like health and life sus- sustenance. Mm. 
like sustaining your life and um and like uh and elongating your life mm. and you know whether or not that's at the expense of anything else but like elongating your life yes um and uh versus the idea of like um post-human ethics which is going to be a huge tension mm. a huge focal point of tension in this campaign <laughs> damn yeah i mean it's a good thing in real life no one has to gain their life at the expense of other people's yeah yeah it's yeah yeah the... man that is true in real life you know a lot of people uh don't yeah. know that yes a lot of people it's... don't know that that you do not have to fuck over other people in order to yeah. live man i'm sure glad yeah. that this is the last episode of our podcast then <laughs> 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 Wow. Yeah. I'm sure glad there's no centuries-year-old thing that profits off of uh, the misfortune of others. That, sh oh, that boy. which could apply to literally anything. <laughs> to capitalism. Uh, take to your pick. Frameworks. To, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So, um, you guys just killed a vampire. Mm -hmm. Um or so you yeah. think oh we, no uh no if, we killed it we took if we it to have to, if, 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 <laughs> if we have to fight the signet again i think elion's just gonna drop a, why are you so obsessed with yeah. us <laughs> no yeah so stop with me? i <laughs> full, full disclosure i i actually had i didn't i i uh i originally was like i originally was like okay I, I was going to have I was going to disappear her before you got to kill her, but you killed her really quickly. And um, damn right we did. <laughs> did you did you and, did you kill like, her? Oh. In the middle of you killing her, I was like, wait a second, you guys have killed her twice now. That's gonna be really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you did you plan for her to show up regardless of whether we crit failed? Uh Regardless of whether you crit failed on what, like uh, when we when um, I forget who it was, but when we crit failed in the quicksand. Oh. Oh, when I tripped, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I <laughs> yes. I yes. Thanks for yeah, rubbing it to, in. Not to name names. <laughs> no, there. <laughs> That's all. There was there was a ridiculously Homes high DC so on that. The fact that Elyon crit failed on that was was just uh, was just some extra spicy meatball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> extra seasoning. Yeah. I'll have you know that I am slowly working to get myself out of those negative one modifiers. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Negative one modifiers are so fun to RP, though. Like, <laughs> it, it provides yeah. some, some, some nice RP flavor. I've grown Level up four all just my life me. being afraid of being bad at shit. I know, no, so. me too. Like, listen, all of my D&D my &D characters up until, like, last, up until Alice, pretty much, were, um, were like, always good at everything. Mm. And then I was like, this is boring. <laughs> Level four just bumped me up to 10 strength. Yeah. Damn. So uh, watch um, out. Watch out. <laughs> that zero modifier. Um, but yeah, what do you guys think exactly of, uh, zero. what do you guys think of, of vampires? Like you're, you're, uh, this, this idea of, of, um, so you're in a forest that has been pretty like, pretty like well proven to be both liminal 
and this territorializing, deterritorializing, like rhizomatic, semiotic, post-human, fungal, like all that lovely stuff. Um, this It's a post-human assemblage of wacky, wild, inflatable, crazy shit. Um, <laughs> what a way to word it. I hope it. you realize that now I'm only going to picture wacky arm inflatable tube men as like the trees yeah, in this forest. Those are the aspen yeah, trees. Those are the aspen trees. <laughs> Covered in mushrooms. <laughs> like inflatable mushroom men. Yeah. Um, but now you've been introduced to something else in this forest that seems to have some kind of hold over it that mm. is like antithetical to that project hmm. so there's something afoot something's brewing what's uh what what do you guys think about this whole deal huh i almost want to say that just because uh, uh earlier you mentioned the like vampires as transhumanist like uh, fiction like is at odds with post-human ethics and now mm -hmm. I'm just sort of flashing back to how the signet had us like in that little bubble I, 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 I imagined mm -hmm. it as um, basically like a JRPG like <laughs> like random like boss yeah. <laughs> boss battle um, and it, it that went away as soon as we killed uh, the signet. That yeah. to me is sort of like very on the nose saying that like transhumanists can't exist in a post-human space. That they yeah. are entirely like like it is only after trans like it's very literal and by that i'm like talking about like the definition of transhuman versus posthuman um that right. like posthumanism and posthumanist ethics like exist only after like we get rid of this idea of humanism entirely right right yeah that's a good point um i guess for for the listeners we should define like what transhumanism mm. what makes them mm. different um so transhumanism and posthumanism are often used interchangeably, which is really confusing. Yeah. Um, but transhumanism is this idea of using technology to transcend the human. But it's um, in some readings that Connor and I have done in, in our classes with Professor mm. Kim, um, uh, uh, we've been exposed to this idea that it's really just enlightenment humanism on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is like the peak of human like we are all just intelligence so why don't we right. upload our brains into the cloud and then we are the peak of humanity like right yeah. right right yeah if we're if we're Let's all just go. like <laughs> if we're all just like if all if we're all mind juice like rene descartes told us <laughs> like daddy descartes told us then please don't call him daddy descartes <laughs> Then, then why can't we all just be mind juice in a matryoshka brain and be like digital mind yeah. juice, and uh, and you know and and that's that's transhumanism in a nutshell. They're they're essentially like prolong your life through technology because 
humans are essentially rational and have a unifying human nature that creates um, that that can be furthered and transcended through uh, logic and reason and facts yeah. and crushing people, crushing the libs, but with Ben Shapiro. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's kind of this undercurrent, at least I get, uh, uh, from transhumanism, that it's like um, human beings are think animals, like that we that we are, yeah. and our only limitation to. The, the only thing that is in our way from achie- attaining, like, godhood or whatever is these stinky flesh bodies that we're trapped in. So if, if we could yes. just replace that with uh, something that lasts longer, like metal or code or, you know, like, that, we will transcend these limitations and become the pure thought ubermensch you know that we that 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 we're supposed to be that's a big that's a big thing within mm. transhumanism and humanism mm. that that we're essentially like better than other yeah. animals because we've been gifted with this intelligence that we're the most evolved that we are <laughs> in the top of this hierarchy that there is a hierarchy to begin with um that there's and that that leads to some gross thinking yes. and like mm-hmm. but i don't i don't want to like I don't want to totally trash transhumanism like altogether no. because there is some use to some of it because it is technology that you can use to save people's lives. Right. So like cancer research is transhumanist yeah. if you look at it in a certain pacemakers light. Pacemakers like, and like glasses. Pacemakers, prosthetic yeah. limbs. Glass. Well, to, to yeah. I, I've, been, I've been silent because I've been trying to find this passage and I can't <laughs> find it. Um, <laughs> So so sorry to the the person who kind of articulated this these ideas, but I, I it reminds me of the importance of seeing like most political thought through kind of an a through an amoral lens, um, right? So not trying to impose like a moralistic reading onto our politics, rather trying to impose like which is counterintuitive, right? Because like. You know, if if my mor- morality is attuned to let's try and create the most good for the most mm. people, of course, politics is going to be the field where that plays out. Mm. Right, 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 right. Um, but in terms of like in like individuals, capitalism is a system of social relations. You know, you can't look at one individual wealthy rich man and be like. Like this, this person is like twirling his mustache, hoarding his wealth from the rest of the world because <laughs> yeah. he's not really. He's not really. He's just like born into mm. the system of social right. relations right. that enables him to know no other option but to exploit other people. So it's so much less useful than to be like that guy's the villain. Let's get him. Mm. Right, right. Than it is to rethink holistically this entire system. Yeah. And so similarly, um, transhumanism is a discourse and is a school of thought that has such like profoundly beneficial and profoundly affirming applications and like profoundly destructive applications. Mm. Mm. Right. Right. So yeah. So any, any sort of, any sort of, you know, political thought in, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It serves our ends to think of it as morally Mm. neutral. And and I yeah and I, I I think I think I I did come at it I did come at it with kind of a vengeance yeah. in in the outset but I 
I, I do I do look at it as as kind of one of those things where it's like um, Deleuze Deleuze said it best when he was like, don't 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 come don't come at it saying when don't don't come at an ideology saying saying how it's wrong. Ask what it does mm, mm. like. Like, yeah, and and what transhumanism does is sustains hierarchies. Right. In a way that um possibly is beneficial to a lot of people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. possibly um doesn't further the cause of um the politics that we mm-hmm. want to end up with in the future in my opinion <laughs> mm. i don't know mm-hmm. but yeah like i i think transhumanism is is definitely like one of those things that's like it's it's using it's it's a tool mm. it's using technology in a way to um it's using technology in a way that helps people within its purview but that purview still needs to be expanded yes mm. by like expanding the limitations of like expanding the limitations of what what like exploding really the definition of what human is mm. And that's what that's where posthumanism comes in. So then, so then we should get to the definition of posthumanism, which is really going beyond what what human is. Thinking of humans as not as individuals that are um, that are advanced beyond other animals, but as a species involved in ecological relations with other animals. Yeah. And reframing our role in the ecological niche that we're in um in that way can be kind of scary because it does diminish like it it there's no nice way to say this it does diminish the importance of individuals mm. yeah well, species of, of predators but that also kind of i mean we also don't have to like we don't have to diminish the importance of individuals to look at I mean, what what is a species but another body, right? It just depends on where you want to draw the line at body. And right. I actually kind of think that species is a fairly unproductive line to draw that. Hmm. Uh, I mean, to draw that distinction, because a yeah. species is a a an an empirical taxonomic construct, and b sure, sure. it doesn't give it do, like in terms of what the categorization of a human species does, it doesn't do that much for us. Right. Um, yeah, I think uh, when I say species of humans, I mean more like what is the role of humanoid subjectivities in this world? Um, in terms of like. What is the role of like, what is the role of like the sentience that we understand as capable of manipulating symbolic thought? Mm. What is the Anthropocene? Mm. Right. Yeah. What is the Anthropocene? Kind of the, the the what is what is the what is the age in which we what is the age in which we um, we uh, we manipulate symbols? I guess and and um and that is that is another another topic that and um joanna zylinska does a lot of um does a lot of uh writing about the anthropocene um minimal ethics for the anthropocene 
Um, and that's actually a book that's available for free on the Open Humanities ah, Press, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, I see, uh, Lindsay, you sent us, uh, Thinking the Ecological Present. This is the thing with the body without organs, you said? Yeah, so this, this clarified, this, um, this essay again, Thinking the Ecological Present by Eva Perez de Vega, um, clarified a lot, not only in, a lot about the meaning of, uh, a body without organs for me, but also, uh, articulates um a delusian view of um ecology that um in, in, you know engages humans role in ecology from a delusian perspective not in terms of what are humans essential qualities that make us the way that we are in this right. um ecological system but what is it that humans are doing and what is it that all um you know, participants in this ecological system are doing that can contribute to our understanding of them. And that's that's very much what um, Anna Tsing, um, which, you know, this goes way back to episodes one and two, or one and 2.5 of uh, Armchair Analysis. Um, Anna Tsing in The Mushroom at the End of the World talks a lot about like the scalability of, um, of ecological analysis and uh, ethnographic analysis of of kind of ecological relations relations between um, multi-species assemblages, um, and um, how how you have to really be able to look at like the interactions between multiple scales of um, like human communities to like like the interactions between a human community to a community of pines to a single nematode on a tick to a mushroom community in a completely different part of the world like this is like these 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 interactions happen on multiple different scales and that's really hard to conceptualize and that's part of what i have difficulty doing and i think what i've had difficulty explaining on the show here but posthuman ethics is all about trying to conceptualize those things in a way that um that uh, maximizes um, maximizes the amount of good done within an ethical project that uh, helps uh, make these assemblages flourish in ways that helps all participants um, participate in ways that don't necessarily entail harmony or conquest. Like, that's that's something that Singh uh, does say. Uh, I think I quoted that earlier in another episode. Um, harmony or conquest is something that she tries to stay away from. She talks more about disturbance. She talks about like ways that assemblages influence each other without necessarily making value judgments about how they influence each other. But yeah, sorry, that was a big rant. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the the part about like. Um avoiding value judgments and just trying to assess ontologically what is happening is very important to me. Yeah. 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 So, um, the, the big, um, I guess the big transhuman project versus the big posthuman project that you, you've kind of gotten a taste of, um, the vampire, um, 
the vampire presence in the Gateway Grove. At least the vampire didn't get a taste of us. Hey, That's true. Hey. Um, the vampire presence in the Gateway Grove uh, uh, is um, is another disturbance, mm. though, that that you guys are going to have to take into account. Like, what what influence is this vampire having on the forest? Hmm. Um, what influence is the presence of these transhuman politics um, like is that causing friction within the post-human realms of this like within the post-human realms of this space and uh, I think we'll we'll come across some more evidence for whether or not that's happening <laughs> as I decide how to write that. <laughs> so now, it's, now it's just on you to <laughs> not only grapple with these anthro theories, but to <laughs> put them into a, a tangible world. <laughs> right, <laughs> to make them yeah. entertaining. Hey there. Thanks for listening to episode 5.5 of Polyvox Armchair Analysis. We had a really good time recording this session. I, I love talking about Anthro with my friends and um and and D and D, but this this session particularly just kind of clicked with everybody. Um and I, I hope that uh I hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um I will do my best to uh not get as many things wrong in future episodes of Armchair Analysis as I did in four point five. Um, so that I don't have to spend three minutes of preamble, uh, ranting at you about corrections. Um, but, uh, sometimes, you know, you get shit wrong and, uh, that's okay. You know, I, uh, think part of this whole process is me learning to, um, be humble and admitting when I'm being a dum-dum, you know, as we all must sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, anyway... Um, once again, thank you for listening and join us uh, next week for some more gameplay. Catch you then.